Hello and welcome to episode 24 of the Salop Cast this season um, with myself, Glenn Price, and joined by Ollie Warner. Ollie, just uh, a quick one. Have you come down from you know the, the joy of yesterday at Liverpool in terms of uh, that start? Yeah, it was fantastic, wasn't it? A fantastic moment. Mm-hmm. A good day for the club and I think it's also nice as well the way that the, the staff and the players talk about the day and leave it in a positive light. So I think it's good to mm-hmm. kind of erase the, the, um, the memories of 2020. Um, so we get a bit of cash and we can focus on the league again but a great day and yeah some great memories for the fans and players and um, yeah we were joined uh, on this episode by Dan who's been on the podcast before Dan so um, we were just talking before we recorded you were there and I'm assuming you went in 2020 as well and would you agree with Ollie vastly better experience this time yeah it's 100% I did feel it was it's got a bit of a feel of one that got away though Glenn to be honest I mean 4-1 sounds like um, you know, we, we were we didn't really have a chance in this game, but I think we did, and I think um, I think that's slightly disappointing, which is not a bad feeling when you you consider we're playing Liverpool away, right? No, I totally agree. I, I, I was tweeting out some of the things when it was one one two two one. You felt we were in the game the whole way through, weren't you? So anyway, we'll, we'll delve, delve into the game yep. in a little bit, but um, yeah, just on the agenda this week, Ollie, Obviously, we just got the one game um, away at Liverpool in the FA Cup. Um, third round, which we'll cover, um, and then we've got a bit of sap news to cover afterwards, haven't we? But before we get into it, Ollie, I know you're a, you're a huge fan of Football Manager, and you, you know, I presume you've been playing it this year. I'm, I'm about to do the Football Manager stats for uh, the, the the January transfer window and um, the latest update. Any any observations? Any players you think should be downgrading, Ollie? Downgrading? Well, it's a couple of players on loan, maybe. <laughs> or upgrading. Um, or upgrading, but yeah, I think the big one, obviously, you got to you got to in- increase um, Dan O'Do's um, potential. Yes. You've yep. got to improve that. And and maybe, yeah, the stamina of, of Davis and Vela and Leahy as well. I think Leahy's probably, maybe you have to make him a midfielder rather than just a left back. <laughs> I've already done that, to be fair, Ollie. I've been doing a bit of work last week. And it, I brought it up because it's interesting. We've talked about Dan and on the podcast a lot in the last few weeks. And it's probably worth covering it now. But I've been doing this shoot uh, chance stats on Football Manager for about, I think, maybe 10 years now. Quite a long time. I've never upgraded a player um, in terms of their current ability on the game as much as I've upgraded Dan Ado between a summer transfer window and this and this January transfer window when we do the stats. You have to provide I some think, evidence, you know, I imagine, Glenn. <laughs> yeah, you do, and I, I just showed him the goals we scored. Um, but no, in all seriousness, it's um, I think uh, Dan, when you, you hear about something like that and you know being uprated in a game like Football Manager, um, it does show the the progress Dan Ado's made since the start of the season. I suppose before we get into the, the Liverpool game, I suppose worth asking you what have you made of of Dan Ado and and the miraculous improvements in his game. Well, I think it's an interesting case, isn't it? Because 12 months ago, um, not too many of us were really feeling it with Dan Ado. I don't think that's too controversial. Um, and yet Sam Ricketts, has got, uh, Sam Ricketts, there's a Freudian slip. Um, Steve Cottrell has definitely stood by him. And he's been pretty clear about that all the way through. And um, I'm not always Cottrell's greatest fan, but in terms of um, picking a player, working with him and improving him, he has definitely done something with Dan Ado. And I, I thought he... I thought yesterday he actually had, he had a super game. He's gone toe-to-toe with somebody who's worth you know, 70 million quid and he's not looked totally out of place at all. So I, I think Udo's progress is, is testament to his hard work, his perseverance, but also fair play to Cottrell. He, he, he realised there was something there and he's, he's making the most of it. Something I would like to mention on Twitter, Glenn, is does, this, does, does Dan Udo mean we have to review you know, letting players go and potentially do we let players go too fast? Um, it's it's an interesting case, isn't it? Obviously, Dan's been with us quite a few years, and he's he's just kind of gone up to League One level now. It's an interesting debate to have, a, not necessarily now, but it's something that's um, yeah. there's always that what if, isn't there, with the players we let go? 
And and there's a lot of uh, debate that we've discussed over the last few weeks about, you know, the fact that, like Dan just suggested, there was a lot of fans who weren't too hot on, on Dan Ado. Um, and, and you could say, is this something to make you feel like you shouldn't write players off too soon? Yeah, maybe there's a little bit of something like that. But there's also a lot of players who town fans have written off and they've ended up being crap and they've stayed crap and they've never done anything in their careers. So it is a bit of a, you know, the, I like it when a player kind of proves you wrong. And so I, I'm, I'm quite delighted with the way it's gone. So, yeah, there we go. I think that's what Dan just said is right, though. The way he played against Virgil van Dijk validates any changes I make to the football manager database. So um, I'm quite happy with that. So, yeah, talking to Danado, he was the star of the show um, on Sunday afternoon. So we'll uh, move on to looking at the game. Cummings from the spot. Scores! 2-1! Shrewsbury Town played on Sunday again. So it makes a mess to play on Saturday this weekend and get back to normal. Mm. So Shrewsbury played um, away at Anfield on Sunday, as everyone will know. And the result was 4-1 um, in Liverpool's favour. Um, clearly not a 4-1 game, but obviously clearly they, they scored four. Um, and in terms of attendance, um, 52,000, so not bad, um, saw the mighty Shrews um, put in a decent performance. Um, so, um, Glyn, you've been doing some some stats, so you've got some good stats on Odo. Yeah, it's an Odo-heavy podcast already, but I think it's fair enough because there's a couple of stats out of this game that are quite interesting when you look at sort of the history of, of well, the last few years and also the history of the club. So, yeah, the first one is, you know, Dan Odo's been on this goal-scoring streak recently, hasn't he, guys? And um, he's now up to 19 goals for the club, which not a huge amount, but compared to most <laughs> most players since uh, we moved to New Meadow, it is quite high. He's already now up to... Uh, joint seventh highest goal scorer in the New Meadow era um, and only players who've scored more than him are James Collins on uh, 49, Sean Wally on 38, Dave Hibbert on 30, Grant Holton 28, Mark Wright on 26 um, and John Taylor on 21 and there's obviously scope with a year and a half of his contract left down to kind of you know considering if he stays here the rest of this year and maybe into next summer of kind of climbing that table quite high so you know by the time he does leave us in a year and a half's time he might be one of the, the best goal scorers we've had in our time at New Meadow um, and you know can you, can you see that happening on current form us keeping him or, or and then continuing to score goals? I can certainly see reasons why we could be optimistic he's, he's got a partnership hasn't he as well with Bowman they look like they do different yep. things I mean, he's the enforcer. He, he gets the ball and runs with it a bit more. And Bowman, Bowman basically has two roles in the team, to compete for a high ball when it comes from the keeper and then to put the ball in the net. That, and that's it. And so they're very different players. They complement each other really well. And, and, you know, is it 19 goals between them now? That's a decent turnaround. Mm. And we're only at the beginning of January. So I, I think there's plenty of reasons to be optimistic with him. The question is, of course, what do we offer him this time next year to, uh, to keep him at the club? Yeah, I think we signed on a two-year deal, didn't we? So we've got another year left yep. with him. Um, I'm hoping that the club will be offering him a, offer him a new contract until um, he gets parity with some. Because I imagine he's not, uh, you know, he's probably not on a first-team wage as such because he probably was a bit of a punt. Um, I don't, th- I don't think there's too much fear that he's going to leave um, because you know he's now playing at League One level. But as as Dan very eloquently put there, he works so well with Bowman, and you know we've been lamenting our squad. Imagine what happens if we get a a better type at right wing back, put Bennett in the middle, and have a number ten. You know, have a little bit more firepower and some more support for the for the, for the two strikers. Maybe they'll get more. But so yeah, I think it's a really good summary um, of Dan of the two strikers who are who are doing really really well, and and as we always say, you know, good examples of good recruitment for particularly Bowman in the summer. Absolutely, I think the point about crosses is well made too. I mean, we'll get to it later, but Ogbetter had a um, had a really positive influence on that game yesterday, and that's perfect for both of these guys. This is exactly what they both need, and they understand what Ogbetter is going to do. So slowly but surely, that looks like a team's developing there. And that's the theme, isn't it, Glyn, of the last month and why we're so excited going to January. We're on a bit of a crest of a wave. 
and the team has kind of clicked and um, the tactical renovations and the tactical improvement we've seen for the manager has been great and yeah it's a, to score a goal against Liverpool um, I think is a testament to how well um, particularly Ogbetta and Dan Odo have done um, the last month or so and a proper goal Ollie a proper football goal it, it wasn't a lucky flick it wasn't a defensive mistake um, it, was, it, was a, it was a really well taken well thought through goal and I think that's that's something to be very proud of it's only a little thing but, um, but certainly I'll better beat his man Ado gets in the right place and we, we do better than a hundred million pound defence and that's pretty good <laughs> yeah, we definitely unlocked the goals in the last few months, uh, you know, particularly, and you can see that in the stats and, and the sort of slight increase in shots we've been having. So, yeah, it's no wonder he started scoring a few more goals. But, yeah, it'd be, be nice for him to kind of keep climbing that list, and I'll keep an eye on it. His next target, um, he's on 19 now. His next target is John Taylor on 21. So, um, we'll, we'll see when he goes above him. Um, and just another one on stats before we move on to the, to the team selection of the game. Um, yeah, Ado now becomes the 38th Shrewsbury Town player in our history since 1950 51 when we came into the league um, to score versus a top flight club. And only the 14th to do it away from home so 14 players in our entire history to score against top flight clubs away from home that is quite a unique little um, you know bit of history for him on Saturday, Sunday that he got and um, yeah well deserved I suppose so um, yeah a couple of stats on uh, Ado there before we move on Ollie. Yeah so who, who else started with Ado um, there were some other players um, there was Morosi, mm-hmm. Pennington, Ebanks and Nurse basically the back the same 11 that played the last few weeks in a row um, Bennett right wing back, Vela Davis, Leahy midfield, Ogbetta left wing back Ado and, and Bowman up front um, and we don't normally talk about the opposition side because um, we just normally can't be bothered. Um, but I think it is worth commenting here on Liverpool's side. The Liverpool um, defence and centre and field, um, particularly with Fabinho, was very strong. So Bradley, who not everyone might have heard of, but he's a highly, highly rated right back coming through their youth academy. And Konate and, and Van Dijk and Robertson. Between those players, they're probably worth, what, 150 million, 200 million on the open market? Um, you've possibly got the best left back and the best central defender in the world there um, and I think it's really key to point out um, Fabinho in central midfield having that three in the middle I think was key to Liverpool dominating the game um, you've got you know, three three top class players there obviously supplemented then um, by um, a number but by Morton and Jones who's Jones is a really good player um, Gordon I thought looked really good player Dixon Bonner um, and Walman up front as well so you know obviously some young players there um, but I don't think you can underestimate how important that triangle is, Dan. And I thought that was a, a big part of the game plan for Liverpool. And also, I think, crucially, I thought that there was a lot more respect for this team than there was from, for the Sam Ricketts team. One of my abiding memories of the first game uh, that we played against Liverpool was how Lovren and Fabinho seemed to be on different wavelengths. And they kept giving the ball away in really dangerous positions. And, and we kept going at them and at them and at them. And, of course, that led to a 2-2 draw. Different Fabinho on, on Sunday. He, he was passing the ball um, crisply, cleanly. The weighting of the passes were perfect. He was putting his foot in and he looked much like, much more like a, you know, a world-class footballer than he did at the New Meadow two years ago, I thought. Yeah, um, unfortunately, if there's one player of this starting eleven for uh, Liverpool, I wish it still kind of just had a bit of sort of a, a COVID hangover. It would definitely have been Fabinho. I think it would have unlocked a lot more in the game for them to have been playing three young lads in midfield and three young lads up front. I think we would definitely would have had more possession and, and potentially created a few more chances as the game went on. But yeah, he was a bit of a Rolls Royce, wasn't he, Fabinho during the whole game? Obviously, we'll come to his goal later on. Um, and they played a, a strong back line against us, and I think that was clear from what Klopp said that they you know there was a respect there by playing some of the senior players at the back. They obviously needed minutes 
streets, but it made it certainly made it much more of a challenge for us to, to go and get uh, you know more than the one goal we got. Um, but if Bradley is a highly rated youth prospect at Liverpool, um, Nathaniel Offbetter must be world class because he had him on toast most of the game. He did in an attacking point of view, but also Bradley was probably their most best attacking outlet as well. So yeah, he? yeah, he was he was involved in I think at least three of the goals. Um, so yeah, he's he's a, he's a highly rated player, and I'm sure well, he'll learn from from that. But before we get Liverpool into the Liverpool, Ollie, Liverpool only like right backs that can attack and not defend. If you look at well, exactly, they've got a good they've got a good record. They've <laughs> got a good record there. But yeah, I thought Bradley was a good player, and he's also really good. I, was, um, I watched this game on on TV, and I was driving to Shrewsbury. Actually, I watched it in Shrewsbury, which was actually strange. I watched it at a friend's house, Phil's, and um, they had on BBC Shropshire um, the um, someone who works for um, Radio Merseyside, BBC Merseyside. And they were, he was talking about Bradley and giving some insight into the Liverpool team. So that was really, really good. It was great to have you know, an opposition radio guy being on BBC Shropshire. That was really good insight. So that mm. was good. They really, There's a good show, actually, from BBC Shropshire. They they came this weekend. Um, but before we get into the game, Glyn, um, you guys both went to the both went to the, the match. Um, kind of what was your pre-match kind of experience like? Yeah, I, it was nice. I... I um... It's been a bit of a weird week, hasn't it, with a lot of people wanting to go to the football and then suddenly catching the Omicron because it's been quite prevalent, hasn't it? And certainly one of our, our friends, uh, all three of us know, Chris Hudson, who's been on the podcast, he was going to take his little seven-year-old up to his to his first big game. Um, he got COVID, so they had to miss it. And then a few other people I know had to miss it. So it was a bit unfortunate. And so commiserations to everyone that didn't get there. But um, I eventually ended up taking Chris's ticket off him and uh, passing it on to a friend of mine and his son. And he was also seven. So he went up to his first big game. So it was quite nice his ticket got used. And I took another load of tickets up for um, one of our fans that lives in Hartlepool, Andy Davis, who's been on the podcast. So yeah, bit, a bit of ticket shenanigans pre-match, but we got up there nice and early because of that. So we saw the Shrewsbury bus arrive, um, gave it a bit of a cheer as it went in through the sort of uh, shutters of the stadium. Um, and uh, yeah, then kind of we went into the stadium with about an hour to kick off and kind of watched the, the training and watched Klopp. He just stands by our sort of side and just watches, kind of stares out all the Shrewsbury players or the opposition, whoever they're playing, which was a bit odd. Um, and we were out there in a in a nice uh, a nice training kit, which at the time I thought was lovely, and I thought Umbro had done us a good job and had got us a nice new training kit. Um, but as I found out today, it's a Derby County kit that they just rebadged, um, and it isn't anything bespoke. And I'm not even sure we're ever going to sell it, so um, we'll see what happens on that front. But yeah, that was kind of my my pre match, and it was nice being part of the build up at a pint under the concourse, and you know everyone was in good spirits. Um, and yeah, just nice Dan, wasn't it? And uh, I don't know, what, what, anything different on your account of it? Any observations? Visiting anything? Yeah, it was, it, it was just so different from two years ago, really. I mean, I, I, wagons rolled from Deepest Berkshire where I live at 7.30 in the morning, which, which, which felt a bit early, <laughs> I'll be honest. But, um, but all good. It's all, you know, if you're going to have an FA Cup day, you might as well have a full one. Um, and I, I got there nice and early, um, p- parked up relatively close to the ground, which was good. And there was, there was no issues with, with the game being delayed, which, of course, always struck me as ridiculous yeah. two years ago. I mean, you can deal with Real Madrid, but you can't deal with Shrewsbury Town. It just seems like nuts to me. Um, <laughs> none of that this time round. And, um, you know, I enjoyed watching the warm up. I picked up on the clock watching us thing. I don't really know why he does it. Yeah, mad. Yeah, I, I, it must be some rationale. He does it every game, apparently. He, yeah, and he definitely did it in the position, maybe. Who knows? But um, but certainly it's something that I, I I would like to know what he, he he gets out of that, or it may just be that he he, he doesn't know what to do. You know what I mean? He just he yeah, wanders he's got to do something, hasn't he? He's got he's got yeah. so many staff. He's got he's got he's got nothing else to do, has he? So maybe he just that's yeah. how he occupies himself. It, the one thing I would know is it was a safe thing to me. Oh, it could be. I mean, he's quite an imposing figure, isn't he? But the one thing I noticed immediately though was was actually something very different. And uh, I I was in a safe standing part of of Anfield. And I've got two six-year-olds, and they weren't with me this time. That was largely because simply because the journey was a bit far for them at that age. Um, but they wouldn't have been able to see. 
And I was, the first thing I noticed was that I, I wasn't sure what I'd have done had I been there with, with those guys, because if the folks in front of them were standing up, then, um, then they would have had a few problems. And it hadn't really occurred to me that that was an issue. Now, maybe that the, 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 the seats there or the safe standing is too shallow. Maybe it's not that bad at Shrewsbury, but I'd be interested to know for those folks who do go and stay standing at Shrewsbury, can, can little kids see? Um, because I'm pretty sure my six-year-olds would have had real problems if, if they'd have been at Anfield yesterday. Yeah, I, that's not the first time I heard that from a few fans yesterday. I know a few fans that took kids that were back there, and in fact, the lad I went with, his ticket wasn't next to mine because we, we, we took someone else's ticket, and they were back in the safe stand area, and apparently he was just standing on the seat the whole time. It was the only way he could physically see above the people in front of him, so I'm not really sure that's how safe standing is really supposed to work, and even less so at Anfield, where obviously there's some sensitivities about it. But I've never really heard anything about it but, but um, the new meadow, because we obviously... You know what Anfield Road's like, obviously, having been there, Dan, and probably maybe you sat last time, but there is literally no leg room at Anfield. Field. I, I yeah. found it incredibly difficult to sit down there this time and it, it isn't suitable to retrofit into safe standing I don't think in terms of the space at the meadow you have a load more space when you've been on that yeah I'm told that this, this is just temporary for them yeah. it's just temporary fix and they'll yeah, put something exactly. in but I think the kids standing I'm, still, I'm sure well, Thomas, someone talked about it a few weeks ago um, Dan but I, I think someone was saying it's okay at the meadow but I don't know for sure well, I'd never heard it raised at the meadow. Yeah. But yesterday, they'd have been on the seats, yeah. as you say, Glenn. I, I, there's no other way to do it because yeah. you, you can't. There's nowhere else to put them because it was all sold out. So um, I thought that was a bit unfortunate. But if it's temporary and it, and it, and it is, then then I guess that they'll work that through. It's almost a bit unfit for purpose that stand now, considering. Yeah, they're supposed to be knocking it down, aren't they? Modern. Yeah, well, they are. They've already started it. There's like the there's like the framework of the new stand out the back beyond the stand. It's going to be much further back, and obviously potentially shallower stands and two of them. And obviously it's going to be a much higher capacity. But even the concourses feel a little bit like cramped and sort of all sorts of bits sticking out the roof and jagged jagged edges here and there. It's a bit of an odd concourse under that stand as well. So I no no wonder they're redoing it. I think it's it's about coming to the end of its life really. So um, yeah, it'll only be us and it'd be knocked down in the summer. So it's our, our last trip to that Anfield Road end anyway for sure. So who knows when we go back? We might be in a new stand, Ollie. Yep. So in terms of let's get on to the game. I think um, in, yeah, yeah. in terms of um, yeah, in terms of the start of the game, I thought it was clear that you know they were going to dominate the play. Um, as we say, with Fabinho was probably the most important player in the game. Um, and yeah, Shrewsbury sat deep, and I thought our tactic was to play on the counter attack. Um, we couldn't just couldn't keep the ball Kobe down in that first kind of fifteen minutes. No, we struggled to keep the ball, but I, I think in a way um, our organisation meant that. Um, that the first thing, the primary thing, was to be as solid as we possibly could, and I had some people around me who were immediately shouting about, you know, about pressing, about getting up at the, the, the Liverpool defenders and putting them under pressure. And I, I felt, being brutally honest, they were reading it completely wrong. It, it, if we press them and they get through us, they kill us. You know, they they will rip us apart. Well, that's what that's what Swindon did against Man City mm. and got absolutely and, and got absolutely ripped apart. I think it's a sensible tactic. I think part of it was that when we when we got a grip of our organisational system, when, when we realised where we were, then when we did get the ball, uh, and this of course led to Ogbetta sort of going down the left and creating two or three fantastic opportunities with his crosses in, I thought we actually looked quite good with it. But it took us a little bit of time to get into our rhythm of how best to use the, the scraps that, that we ultimately had. So I think the first 20 minutes, we, we hardly saw any of the ball, but then... When we did get it, we, we were actually really good in looking like we might put um, their, their superstar defensive line under a, under a bit of pressure. And, and certainly, if we'd have had an Ogbetta-like player on the right, then, then I think we'd have been coming at them from all angles. Because Liverpool, of course, they basically play with two at the back. 
the two fullbacks don't really want to defend. No. And I thought Bradley showed that he couldn't defend. I was interested to hear you say you thought he had a fantastic game. Well, no, I was just saying he had a fantastic game from an attacking Going point forward. of view. Going yeah, forward. Yeah, not from a defensive point of view, no. But as we know, Liverpool don't really play with fullbacks in the, in the normal term, do they? They play as a attacking wing-backs, um, really, or even maybe even just call them wingers, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. And I think once we'd worked that, that out, then we looked as good as I thought I could expect this to look playing against a side like that even if it meant I haven't actually seen how much possession we had but I'm going to guess about 16, 17, 18 percent 20 percent yeah is that it was that it was okay. about 19 but, I think yeah it was about 19 percent 20 percent in the first half and probably most halves as well um, but you're right Dan we, we didn't start we started okay in terms of the stat to, you know kind of the tactics of the game um, as we mentioned earlier you know that I thought Liverpool's um, you know, these three players were key you know, it was a big battle for Dan, Dan Ado and Bowman to win the ball. We were also playing the ball over the top a little bit too much, which they were never going to win a foot race. Um, but then a magical bit of football happened. Um, Ogbetta gets the ball on the left. He goes past Bradley, who doesn't put enough pressure on him. He crosses the ball into the bat- into the box. And then who flies in there, Glynn, to put the ball in the back of the net? Yeah, the man that's on, on the form at the moment. Um, yeah, flew, flew in there, um, got a goal, got the right side of his man, and uh, not an easy finish to be honest with you. He's coming at him with a bit of pace because he's absolutely whipped it in there, and uh, lovely controlled finish into the back of the into the back of the net. And then yeah, I'm I'm on row seven. He wheels away, runs like literally in our direction, and stops just almost about in front of us, and and we get a massive uh, a massive massive mental. Let's be honest about it. The the stadium in terms of the Ramfield Road end lower went completely ballistic. Everyone just lost their minds, and it was like. We get reminded of the of those big ones that we've been in before, and uh, yeah, celebration right in front of us. Absolutely loved it. Give a massive cheer off, and then it was uh, yeah, it was Danado Danado <laughs> chance all the way really. So um, yeah, a really 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 good moment in terms of being a Shrewsbury Town in my lifetime. Obviously, been going since 1996, and I'll put that goal up there in the top ten easily. It was it was bloody amazing, and just to have those moments chanting at shoot at Liverpool fans, you know the the the. the People that probably think the most of themselves in terms of a fan base in the country. I I love those seven minutes, guys. I don't, I don't know about you, Dan. Oh, exactly the same. I mean, there was two things that occurred to me. One, I don't know about you, you Glenn. It happened really quickly. Ogbetta got the ball, yeah. and before I knew it, the ball was in the net. And I, I don't I don't recall thinking that too often about town goals in the past. Before I knew it, the deed was done, and we were one nil up. And and, yeah. and that that's something I remember. And the second thing was. I remember looking around to, to, to John Wigley, who I was with, and said, start the bloody game, right? Because as soon as you started the game, VAR's done. And I couldn't think of any reason why it would be offside or why there was a foul. But I thought as soon as we've started the game, it's definitely happened. So I guess the legacy of 2020 was, was yeah. sitting deep there. And I just thought, don't, don't let it go wrong. Don't, please, just get back to the centre and start. It's funny you say that the legacy of twenty twenty. I think there was a lot of things about 2020, 20, Sorry, the nineteen twenty twenty game wasn't it? Yeah, but the the first game against the kids that was and and because you start at the start of all this, you said I didn't understand why town fans weren't saying press them a bit more. I think a lot of that was to do with how we approached the game last time, Dan. It was that people just wanted to see us have a go compared to last time. And when we when we started to get into the first twenty minutes and we'd hardly touched the ball, I think people thought the same thing was going to happen again. But obviously the goal changed um, the environment and, and the sort of situation there. But yeah, it was one of those ones where you looked around and literally everyone was going absolutely crazy and um, people. In the co- down the front, people in the in spilling out from their seats to the sides, and you know stewards trying to get people to calm down. It was a, a kind of losing of control moment that um, you don't get too often. And um, yeah, I hate to say it, Ollie, because you weren't there, mate, but it was bloody good, and I'm sure you were enjoying it at home as well. <laughs> it also reminded me in an odd way, and it's not often these two teams are, c- are compared, um, of Berry 
you know, um, when yeah. in, in the yeah. playoff, uh, when when we equalised in the last minute there. That was a similar sort of moment, really. Although, you know, quite when anyone ever will compare Liverpool and Bury again, I don't know. But but they're on the sort of same sort of level for me. So um, yeah, we, was, was, we were chatting about this one week, Lynn, in our uh, WhatsApp, we what's in our WhatsApp group. Um, with a couple of friends and yeah, talking about like big moments and I was talking about the Berry one and it felt obviously it wasn't a Liverpool game um, for obvious reasons. It wasn't really a bit fair to to disappear with a newborn this early, but Absolutely. yeah, it yeah. was um, it was a, yeah a magic moment. You can tell from the fans and I think there's something about the way the goal is scored because if you score like from a set piece or something like that, it's kind of like you know there's a cross and then it's bang back of the net. You don't really have that time. Um, but a bit like that Jason's coming on against Liverpool before, there was that bit of build-up, wasn't there? So people were kind of yeah. ready or on their feet, whatever. And then when it came in, in the back of the net, and everyone absolutely mental. So, yeah, a great moment for better, a great moment for a doe, and a great moment for the Shrewsbury Town fans. Dan's completely right there in terms of the speed of which it happened. Like, with with some set pieces, like you just said there, Ollie, or with a, with a long-range cross sort of thing, it's like build, 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 oh, and then we've scored sort of thing. But the cross was so quick, it was, like, quite instant. It was it was a little bit like the Collins goal at Arsenal, where suddenly Marvin Morgan's got the ball miles out wide, and within a second later he's crossed it in and, and Collins has scored. That's another kind of good comparison with it, I think. Um, so, yeah, there, were, there, was, there was obviously quite a lot of big goals and massive mentals we had, and it might be nice to discuss them one day, Ollie, because we've come up with a really long list, didn't we? But, yeah, I think Berry and the Arsenal game, again, for me, kind of two that sort of stand out around that around that kind of mark really Dan yeah I think that's right um, and it also occurred to me that that Liverpool had been warned because there was a carbon copy of that about five minutes previously and I'd like to yeah. think that Udo at that moment was thinking crikey that that could have been me on the end of that and of course he was you know lucky enough to have exactly that opportunity five minutes later and, and boy was he there um, and, and I think you're right the finish wasn't straightforward it was bouncing it was sort of knee high and he, he did pretty well to steer it um, steer it past the keeper you missed that last year <laughs> but there we go well, what, yeah. uh, just one thing as well for Dan because you weren't there Ollie and you were watching it on the TV and you can see the clock ticking over but obviously we had that that seven minutes now didn't we and we'll talk about the Bowman chance in between because it was vital in terms of the game but did it seem that that seven minutes went really fast or really slow to you? That is a good question um I remember thinking <laughs> this this might not last forever, <laughs> so so make sure you take a picture of the scoreboard, uh, make sure you enjoy it. And I remember yeah. thinking we we could get to half time here, and then we didn't. Um, so yeah. that there was definitely stuff going on that probably made it feel a bit longer than it was. But um, I do remember definitely thinking it, th- th- this this probably won't last. So make sure you enjoy it. So <laughs> I'm not sure what whether that's slow or quick to be honest in an odd way. And there was a big moment, Ollie, in that seven minutes, wasn't wasn't there in terms yeah. of the Bowman chance, mate? Yeah, there was the a cross again from the left. This time it was Leahy and Bowman, brilliant, fantastic head into the back of the net. And um, in real time, I thought it was fine, and I still think it was fine. I don't understand yeah. why the why the linesman put his flag up. And obviously, what you want the benefit of having someone you know watching the game at home is you do obviously get the replays, but also you kind of get a bit of better sense of you know. The comments of the speed of it and what was going on. There was absolutely no way that VAR checked that. I'm nope. no way they did. And if they did, there's no way they drew the lines on the pitch. Absolutely no way. No and I think that that was um, onside. I don't think it would have changed the result of the game. Because... Definitely onside. Well, I think that's fascinating, Ollie. Because my first instinct when the ball was played to Lee, he was bloody hell, Lee. You're too lazy. Get back. And of course, Lee's not a lazy footballer. But on this occasion, my first thought was, you're offside, you clown, what are you doing? Of course, he crosses it in. And I didn't even celebrate. I thought he's offside. Now, it may well be because I'd seen the linesman's flag go up. But, but my instinct was absolutely the opposite. Now, of course, I've got arguably the worst seat in the house to judge. 
uh, I'm not in any way level with it, but the instinct was totally different to the VAR goal at Anfield two years ago when we all thought it was a goal and then were amazed. I was like, that's just not a goal. And, and I think, did it definitely not get checked? I'm, I thought it did In get terms checked. of the speed, the speed that it happened and the speed that the game is replayed, um, I don't believe it was checked, but I could be wrong. But um, they didn't. Obviously, you don't really know if they're done. But yeah, the the linesman put his flag up. I don't know whether they're doing it differently um, in um, in the with the FA Cup versus how the Premier League do VAR. But I I didn't believe it was checked. Well, I think there's there's no way he should have put his flag up as quickly as he did. M- much as I thought it, it was the right call at the time, um, you've got to let play go, right? And then as and when the ball hits the back of the net, the flag goes up. That's the way VAR works. So the linesman got that wrong. Um, even if my instinct was that sooner or later the damn thing's going to go up and, and it won't count. And I don't, you know, going 2 0 up at Anfield, it's all right saying it might not have yeah, affected the result. 2 0 is a decent start. 2 0 yeah, well. I think, I think they would have probably brought on more talent. Um, to, but yeah, I don't think it would have altered the game in the end. I think it would have been extra time, maybe, or whatever. But it definitely would have caused, obviously changed the course of the course of the game. Yeah, it's funny because like the referee didn't blow the whistle until after Bowman had headed it in. So the cross goes in, he heads it in, the flag had gone up, but he didn't blow the whistle until after Bowman had scored, right? So then at that point, I reckon if that's a televised game, that gets a VAR check, you get the lines on the pitch and we find out for sure. Um, presume, you know, you've got to presume that something was done correctly there, but I've seen some of the footage back today and it, it doesn't look like he's offside. Weirdly, on the day, I was shouting, watch the line, Lee, watch the line, because you could kind of see it was close um, and it, we're obviously only row seven, we could see it, but yeah, it's a bit of an Being behind the goal been... is so hard to tell, isn't it? Yeah, so, yeah. I'm sure you guys agree with that but um it was tough though. it was tough it was tough and so probably worth you know we got to this point in the game we had a few fouls and we they, they had a few free kicks um glenn what was your kind of overall view of the ref we didn't talk about rest very often but i think it's probably prudent in this one i was taken along with the sway of the crowd on saturday ollie and um i felt he was a little bit of a homer if i'm honest with you particularly in the second half where some incredibly innocuous free kicks got given to liverpool particularly one i think it was all better with this with a shoulder bulge maybe it was a doe there was a few that felt really rough and on the balance of it it didn't feel like we got hardly any free kicks in the game all right we didn't have much of the ball maybe that's fair enough um the whole the whole offside thing didn't bother me on the day that we just talked about but i, I just felt a little bit like he, he tended to give free kicks to, to liverpool a little bit more easily than he would give to us. I wouldn't have said it was a cheating or an unfair thing. It just that's the kind of way I balanced on it. And I, I don't like the way that when you have a Premiership game, they have to be uh, sorry, a Premier League game at home in the FA Cup. Apparently, they have to be refereed by a Premier League referee, which to me seems completely unfair. You should you should mix the referees up and you know have referees that know players from our level as well. So I wasn't I don't think like that rule either. So um, I just felt it was a little bit of a homer, but nothing that really affected the game per se. I don't think. What was your view, Dan? Yeah, slightly different. I mean, there, there are certain things that I do get irritated by. Just as uh, as they were going to, to toss the coin, he's having a nice laugh and joke with Virgil van Dijk. Yeah, and I exactly. Thought, yeah, I bet, he's, I bet he's calling him Virgil or, or whatever his nickname is. But Big on the other hand... Big Verge, yeah, um, Dick Van Dyke. Um, but on the other hand, well, well he, he can't blank him. You know, if he knows the bloke, he knows the bloke. So I, I'm trying to sort of balance out against myself there by saying that if he does know him he's, he's got to he's got to sort of say something too I thought the better incident you, you, you mentioned there was, it was a doe it was a doe actually who who, who shoulder barged yeah, and got was, yeah. oh um, you did sorry yeah um, yeah well better couldn't shoulder barge anybody I think um, but Udo um, he did shoulder barge him and I know it was a soft free kick but it was a free kick in my mind anyway why so was I, it why do you think it was a free kick because, because you're allowed to use um, your shoulder and you use your use your strength yeah exactly well you had shoulder to shoulder but you're not allowed to barge people over you know mm. and i think it, it, it verged on you know just, just literally pushing him over i think in league one that would have got you would have got away with that 
Well, I think in some Premier League games it might have been okay as well, but I, I also think it's okay to give it. It's one of those ones like in, in DRS in cricket where it's umpire's call. You know, an umpire's call can be out or not out, but it's, you go with the umpire. And I, I didn't feel it was a massive injustice. Did he get everything right? Probably not, but I, I, didn't, I didn't feel he was a major factor in the game, if I'm being brutally honest. One thing I did like about him was his style. When he gives free kicks, he was very sort of, well, yeah, it's free kick, carry on, get on with it. There was no, it was the opposite of Mike Dean. And it's not that I don't like Mike Dean, but I thought he was quite understated as a ref, which struck me as being, being quite nice in its own way. Yeah, I, I thought I wasn't surprised why Shrewsbury fans were starting to get agitated by um, by the ref, and the reason for that is we gave away quite a few fouls, but the players reacted as if they hadn't given a foul. There was one in Vela around this period where he no way got anywhere near the ball but was arguing with the referee as if he hadn't done anything wrong and I wondered whether our players did that a few times and I wondered whether that maybe influenced um, the um, the referee I would say the referee was a bit a bit he refereed the game as a Premier League game and which obviously he's used to which kind of went a go to go against us in our favour I thought it was a few times like the offside we were unlucky and there's a few times I thought he was unlucky that Doe one you mentioned clearly I'm interested in you mentioned that as yeah. well that was one that I thought wasn't a foul but overall I yeah. thought he was all right yeah, I mean, we had the three bookings, which obviously colours you a little bit as a Shrewsbury fan, doesn't it? They had no bookings. We had double the amount of fouls they committed, and, and they were they were robust in their challenge as well. It's just you never felt like he was going to book any of them. So I, I can understand why town fans were annoyed. I agree with Dan; it didn't affect the flow of the game. But uh, oh, let's get it a referee. Why not? We're allowed to do that. Shrewsbury town fans. <laughs> exactly. well, I thought I thought Pennington's was a bit unfortunate. The booking, I can see yeah, why it, it was. A, that was a yellow card. I thought um, there was intent there. Wasn't it's there? annoying that we had it last week um, against Sheffield Wednesday, where and one of their players did that to us. And we didn't get the yellow card. For me, that should be a yellow card every day of the week. You, it's, a, it's a professional foul to stop a counter attack. Um, I think Curtis um, Jones would have been would have been quite a threat if he hadn't done that. Oh, Fair enough. Away from the bookings, then we were at the seven minutes. <laughs> we're still we're still in the seven minutes of joy. Um, but it was it was short lived, wasn't it? Um, unfortunately, um, as good as those minutes were, I'll be honest with you. I'm down the other end. I, I, I I'm going to be honest, Ollie. I've not found the heart to watch the highlights back yet. I don't want I don't want to see the goals they scored quite yet. Um, I'm not I'm not feeling ready for it. So, uh, Glenn, you're not yeah, alone. I, you know, you're not alone. <laughs> I've not seen it <laughs> yeah, yet either. Down the other end, Ollie. Well, yeah, I, I've watched the, I obviously watched it live, watched the replays, and I watched them back as well to help with this pod. So, yeah, good good ball into the box from Bradley. He cuts it back through a couple of players to find Gordon, who controls the ball and puts the ball into the back of the net. Really tidy finish. And then in extra time in the first half, Ebank Sandel puts his hand in the air. I was just like, oh, my God. I watched it back. There was like a maybe a little touch in the back from Virgil van Dijk, but for me, not enough for a foul. Um, to be given as a um, to be given, you know, as a foul against on Ebanks, um, and then yeah, obviously Fabinho puts the ball in the back of the net. Two and a half time. That little bit of seven minutes of joy um, has gone. But um, overall, I thought a really professional performance. And that's one thing we know about this team. And that's why, you know, we've said it a lot in the last few weeks. Um, and I'm sure you agree, Dan, the hard work and the grit from this team. Um, we were always going to, I thought we were going to, we never, you know, when we watched, when we've had games in the past, I've always been really fearful. I didn't feel fearful at kickoff for this one. Obviously, I thought, you know, there's a good chance we'd lose. But I didn't, I, you know, with the Ricketts team, I was really worried how it might go. Well, I, th- I think this is this is the key point about Cottrell's season, about this season, is that we know he likes three five two. You know, Bristol City fans w- w- were saying that before we appointed him, and he's got players now who can play three five two. So organisationally, we were never the, te- the, like, the type of team that was going to fall apart. Now, we, we, you know, Liverpool are brilliant. They might have battered us and they might have scored lots of goals, but we were never going to fall apart because Cottrell has drilled this into folks. They get where they're playing, and I think that was that was really evident in the second half. I mean, I thought. 
we had one real chance to get back into it and a sort of a, an intake of breath moment when, when Josh Vela gets the ball 20 yards from goal with 20 minutes to go. But, but that didn't stop me thinking this is not going to be carnage. We, it's under control. The question is how are we going to get the ball in the right places to give ourselves a chance to score? So I think Cottrell does a lot of credit for, for getting the players drilled into playing those roles. And, and we did it all the way through. And, and I think, I think you know, people watching on the TV will have, will have sort of respected that in a way. We, 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 we had a strategy and we tried our level best to, to, to try and make it work yeah we finally know what we are this season don't we after these last couple of months and <clears throat> we didn't really play this game any differently to where we played against Sheffield Wednesday the weekend before and probably the same against Cheltenham and, and the last few games and yeah it gets results at League One because games are pretty marginal we've suddenly found a bit of a goal scoring streak we've had a couple of really good performances yeah it's going to be incredibly difficult away at Liverpool but they've found an identity um, and they've certainly found uh, the commitment and the desire you would want, want within the formation we're playing now and even at half time I couldn't consider myself to think we were completely out of it at all I, I, I thought you would scored one in the first half they'd given us a couple of other half chances a couple of offsides that didn't look too good and um, you know and in other situations might have been better but yeah it was going to be a case of us needing to score the next goal wasn't it and um, you know we, we, we lasted a bit in that second half before it happened but I, I certainly felt we were still in it at half time Ollie we lasted yeah. a long time yeah. they scored in the 78th minute yeah, yeah they did yeah they yeah, did exactly, yeah. yeah so I thought at half time I remember right doing my normal half time tweet I thought this game was still still to be there and I thought it was really fascinating mm. that, that, that um, they took off a kid and brought on an international and I thought that was testament again to the strength of this team, the organisation, the work that Cotter and the staff have done and the players that Cop obviously believed in the same vein as you, Glenn. They thought this game isn't over yet and brought an international player, um, Minamino, um, to just put a little bit more pressure on us exactly. and have a bit more talent on the pitch. Um, and as you just said there, Dan, it took them ages to get a goal. Now, it was attack D, attack B defence in that second half. But as you've alluded to again, Dan, like you know, our defensive organisation and our teamwork and our grit was fantastic in the second half again. And they were a bit left, right, left, weren't they? You know, until Firmino came on, really. I, I thought Firmino had a super game. Um, he, he just created space everywhere. But before he came on, I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily sure they were going to score at all. But of course, when you've got that much talent on the bench, then you do have a bit of weaponry to, to bring to the party. So, so I, I thought that they were, were lacking ideas before that, that key substitution happened. It's difficult to know when they scored, though, because you couldn't hear any crowd making a noise. So <laughs> we should probably talk about that very quickly. I mean, yeah, considering that, that you know we were 1-0 up, and I, didn't surprise, I wasn't surprised they were quiet first half because you went 1-0 down to Shrewsbury and you were trying to scrabble your way back into the game. But they very, made very little noise, the Liverpool fans. But even second half, when they started scoring goals, it was pretty poor. Like They're, they're, all right, they're loud when they score. I'm kind of semi-joking, but no real chance. Nothing really kind of consistent. And, you know, town fans were relatively noisy the whole game. I, second time to Anfield. And I've talked about this on podcasts. I used to be a bit of a Liverpool fan when I was younger. My dad used to take me to the cop. I remember going to see games when Liverpool played, you know, lower end um, Premiership teams or you know lower kind of ranked European nations on a Wednesday night, and the atmosphere seemed lots better back in the nineties. It, it feels feels like a bit more of a day trippers crowd. Again, more so probably because it was the FA Cup and tickets are not all season ticket based. I don't know. It's felt like that both times we've been there when I played them. I've not overly been impressed with the atmosphere at Liverpool, but over time really. I Let's get it right, though, Glenn. The way it works is they sing You'll Never Walk Alone at the beginning. They all get very deeply emotional and then they all sit down and watch the game. That, that, that's how it works. Yeah, I'm sure they probably had at least 10,000, 15,000 people probably making their, yes. their their kind of their annual trip to the stadium if they have. I've, I've probably, me and you have probably been to Anfield, probably Dan as well. We've all probably been to Anfield uh, more times than the average Liverpool fan. Um, it must be quite strange being a Liverpool fan, to be honest, because 
like online you get all you get so many weirdos follow the so call themselves Liverpool fans and I do feel very sensitive yeah very sensitive um, as if like Liverpool fans are, are, are whiter than white and it's not like their owners try to destroy football or anything but I do feel a little <laughs> bit for the real hardcore Liverpool fan who goes to all the games because their voice just gets clouded out by these like weird people all over the world who don't go to games, weird people in the UK who don't go to games, who get very passionate about stuff, who don't really understand football. So, yeah, I think this game was a bit of a, a day trip, a, a fan base, wasn't it? It's always going to be that way. Yeah. Um, I, I, w- I, w- I would like to reaffirm what I said last time, Ollie, that my old links with Liverpool are dead and buried. I am completely <laughs> finished. Them as but well. I think actually just on the positive, though, us. on the positive, though, this, this one was... <laughs> You know, you saw positive comments from Adoe and the players. Um, Steve Cottrell was really complimentary about Klopp and how they were treated. Um, I did have a little WhatsApp chat with Brian. He said it was all good. So, um, so that's all good. So, I think those that kind of one experience has hopefully been that those two experiences. Obviously, those two games have been put to bed a little bit now. But yeah, I don't it think what the chairman um, did in the in the boardroom, Ollie. Yeah, I did try to get a little insight into that. I think it was all okay this time. <laughs> Can I say one thing that sets the tone there, though, guys? That they've got the most monotone, anodyne stadium announcer I've ever heard. Oh, he's awful. I mean, that blo- he puts uh, you to sleep, that clown. I don't know who he is. And they've had it for years. I mean, I, you know, hear it in the telly when you watch their games. But my yeah. goodness me, I, a club like Liverpool should have somebody with a bit more joie de vivre, no? a bit more get up and go about them. And- the big Shropshire welcome they need. Tell you what, get Ryan Jarvis on the mic. Yeah, he's like, welcome be- to Anfield for this game against Shrewsbury Town. Uh, here's your but Ryan is in a different league. Like he's. he's pr- <laughs> Yeah, Ryan's Premier League compared to that that clan. He should be Sunday League. Yeah. There we go. So interesting. That's the kind of that's the kind of tangent you get on Salopcast. I uh, appreciate that. <laughs> it's true, though. It is true. It's true. So then, yeah, second half. Yeah, there's not too many moments to really talk about. There was there was that great save from Morosi. Um, there was a Vela shot from range. A couple of efforts. We had a couple of shots in that period actually, again, didn't we? Um, where we had a few chances. But then, yeah, Bradley again on the ball on the on the byline crosses the ball into the box to um, to the central defender Kanete. Doesn't really do the best job of it. Comes to Fino, backs the ball, um, kind of flicks into the back of the net. Um, yeah. Then we had a couple of couple of subs, didn't we, Glenn? Yeah, they put, for that goal, they literally passed it around on the edge of our box for what felt like five minutes, yeah. <laughs> and then eventually scored. So that goal was definitely coming. It was a bit a bit annoying to um, to see them uh, backheel a goal in. That felt like a bit of a piss take. But yeah, then we made a load of subs, didn't we? I think we made like three subs, um, three sets of subs, didn't we? So obviously we brought off our five best players. I thought on the game because we've got to save them for crew. So obviously we lost a Doe Bowman. I think Pennington went off. Um, Ogbetta went off, and I think Bennett went off. So to me, at the moment, they're probably our, our five best players other than Vela. So save them for Saturday and then a few other lads got to run out obviously Josh Daniels came on and, and clogged uh, Andrew Robertson straight away which was a bit funny um, and Caton came on for a run out I think we had uh, obviously we had the new lad Janai came on up front with um, Bloxham I forget what the, f- the fifth sub was now but uh, two men that didn't come on Dan Cosgrove and Pike were you, were you quite upset about that? Well I think there was probably more chance of me and you going on Glyn if um... <laughs> You're not wrong Dan to be fair um, but they didn't stop them warming up very intentionally during the game I'll give them credit on that Dan yeah, and I would if I was them, I'd do the same thing. Get out on the pitch, have a look around Anfield. But there was no chance that they were ever going to come on in my book. We got a name yeah. subs, haven't you? So, um, so I guess that's yeah. that's why they were there. It was just definitely about rotating the players. Or he wasn't it? I think. Yeah, I think it's about giving an eye on the. We were obviously going. We'd yeah. lost for this point, and just giving them an opportunity yeah. to come on. Um, and then in extra time, yeah, Fabinho scores another goal. Um, it was never a four-one result. Three-one, two-one. I thought was probably a fair reflection of the game. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It, for me, looking at back of it, you know, with good performance from Shrewsbury Town fans, Shrewsbury Town fans, good performance from Shrewsbury Town players and staff, and we kind of put in a good effort. 
Um, and we, we got the money and we can run to the hill now and hopefully invest a little bit of cash. I'm slightly annoyed at that fourth goal for purely selfish reasons. Now, mm. later this evening, I'm going out myself to play football. And, you know, people are going to be very nice and friendly. And, oh, yeah, you went to Anfield, that was goal 4-1. Oh, yeah, a bit of a pasting. And 4-1 sounds way different to 3-1. And I, I re- in the 93rd minute, and we really didn't close any Liverpool players down. We were knackered. Yeah, we were absolutely totally. knackered at that point. But I just felt like, did we need to concede that goal? Because it no, makes my life didn't. a little bit more difficult in trying to explain that we actually did pretty well. So, purely selfish rant for you there, Glyn. I hope that's a survival well, It's t- totally fair. It's totally fair. And it was a bloody good finish, to be fair to him. He was on, on, on a massive angle and hammered it. Yeah, hanging it into the top of the leg. Yeah, four one didn't feel fair at all, and it does. It does. Whenever you get past three to four one, I agree with Dan. It's like a marker between or oh, a hard fought game that you probably lost a bit unlucky, maybe in some respects, or, or or a bit of a smashing. And and it and it was a bit harsh, wasn't it? But um, and it was ninety third minute, but it was literally the last kick of the game. Went back to centre circle and blew up, so we couldn't do anything about that. So yeah, we were we were one second away from a three one, which I think would have been a nice way to come away from it. But I was just going to say there, Ollie. You know, you were talking about the the feeling of getting the money and let's get out of there, and that's great. I, I'm going to go a little bit further than that, and 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 you'll probably agree with me both of you but we left Anfield last time feeling nothing but regret disappointment and literally never wanted embarrassment. to embarrassment so, yeah exactly similar to how we feel when we go to Wembley but this time I left and actually I felt a hell of a lot of pride um I felt a massive amount of pride in what they'd done against the team we played against the way we played the grit and determination we've shown in recent weeks that we've been so positive about absolutely brilliant and I think what capped it off maybe is that Steve Cottrell is not often coming on the pitch and clapping the fans. And I know people don't like it or some people do like it, but <clears throat> I felt massive appreciation from our manager on Saturday because he came over and he walked the length of that stand and clapped every single town fan that was still there. Not many of them had left. Everyone clapped town off, which shows you a, a big degree of what our fans thought about that performance. And then obviously all the players got a rousing reception as well, including a doe who was the last man off the pitch and also celebrating with fans. So I think there was a, <clears throat> we talked last week, Ollie, didn't we, about a little bit of something building with the manager, a little bit of a kind of the reconnection and the things that we might be looking forward to in 2022 and yeah I think that you know it was nice to see that from Cottrell and, and a bit of appreciation is always appreciated by the fans when they're giving it back I think yeah definitely I said to Brian on WhatsApp before this saying we need to sign some players to keep this momentum going um, and that's what we've got at the moment haven't we? we've got a bit of momentum yeah. and I was going to ask yeah. you this question Glenn leads perfectly on it as if we've prepared and we haven't um, is no. this kind of the happiest you've been as a town fan since Paul Hurst left Ooh, uh, I I guess so. We've had some one-off cup wins, haven't we, under those managers in between? But in terms of a little run and a feeling of security in League One, I think you'd have to say that, wouldn't you? Um, I never I never felt quite as good as this. Maybe even when we were on that good winning run under Cottrell last season, when we won those three away no, games. No, because we were that in, felt like we were obviously bust, it was it? COVID yeah. times as well, wasn't it? We were all, all at yeah, home we and, and everything. Yeah. It, was, it was a bit shit. It's a good shout. It's a really good question. What I don't would know you what say, Dan? But yeah, you, yeah. Yeah, I think there's something in that. I was going to say 12 months ago we were on a good run, but I was more surprised than anything there, really. You know, we were beating everybody away from home, no matter where they were in the table. Um, But now, I think I I like the look of what I'm seeing. We look like we know what we're trying to do. We might not be always perfect at it, but I see the method in the madness. And the connection point is is important. I feel I've got a connection with with, with Cottrell a bit more because I I didn't enjoy some of his interviews earlier in the season. I don't enjoy people being being sort of passive-aggressive to journalists and that sort of stuff. But slowly but surely, he's, he's doing, I guess, what he needs to do to try and win. Skeptics, I guess, is probably the right word, like like me back over. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's about wins, isn't it? Because yeah, we we can forget about the kit and Umbro and all that kind of nonsense now. Hopefully, obviously, we still prefer to have a proper kit, but we've got over that now. We've got some wins, got some goals. 
got some pride in our team. Um, and yeah, hopefully, for me, it's just about finishing the season on a high and get some players and sign a couple of players, get a few loan players. And, you know, January, he's, he's, I think this season is going to be defined, isn't it, by the transfer window. And if he has another bad window again, I think we'll probably go into a fit of despair again. But um, fingers crossed that won't happen. <laughs> we'll just lose the crew now we've said all this. Um, there we well, go. Um, yeah. Should we, should we... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Should we round this game off then with yep. uh, top threes and then what Cottrell said? Um, yep. I'll start mine if you want, Ollie. I, I went for Actually, just before we do that, I thought it was, I thought it was oh, probably well. just just a comment. Um, Dan, any comment on um, on Odo versus Van Dyke? Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not convinced Van Dyke is quite where he was before he got injured. And I don't know if it's, if it's COVID-related. I don't know if it's, if it's injury-related. Um, but he, he's, he's, I think he's a fraction below the superstar that, that he was. Now, he might get back to that level. And I think when you looked at those two going, going toe-to-toe, I thought it did look like a proper contest. I, I think, you know, ultimately, you can ask where Van Dyke was when Udo scored. Yeah, he was nowhere within sight, was he? Odo had the freedom of the yeah. six yards. He was on track. He was on mark. So I'm, I'm not sure Van Dyke's performance was was quite the Rolls Royce performance that that he's put in time and time again in years gone by. But as an individual, Van Dyke clearly understands what it means to be, quite frankly, a global icon because he is. And you know the fact that he went to to, to, to seek out Dan Odo after the game and asked for his shirt and Dan Odo's given this lovely interview. If people haven't seen it, do look at it. Two minutes where he looks like you know a, a kid who's just sort of you know fulfilling his, his football fantasies, and that's brilliant. And that's because Dan Odo, um, Virgil Van Dyke's got a bit of class about him. So I thought as a contest on the field, it was perhaps a bit more equal than Van Dyke might like, but he, he did also show what a what a sort of a fantastic um, icon he is by the way he, he dealt with Odo after the game. Of course he wanted a doe shirt, Dan. He's the, he's the hottest young thing in football now, Dan. He's got a fly on eBay, isn't he? That's what he's going to so. do. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, on eBay, there we go. No, I saw there was a nice moment. interaction yeah, between Elliot Bennett and Andy Robertson, who yeah, obviously did. played yes. together in the championship, um, and that was quite nice. So there was obviously some things that the Liverpool players, you know, and let's be honest, we didn't play any players last time. We played a bunch of kids. No one would have cared what they said. So to see some of those senior players kind of commenting and, and being very uh, proactive about our, our players was nice to see, I think, and definitely leaves a bit of a, a less sour taste in the mouth than last time. Nice comments all around, wasn't there, on Twitter. Yeah. A lot of players are on Twitter. They don't normally go on Twitter that much, but yeah, it no. was, there was some really nice comments from um, David Davis saying he needed a new set of lungs after that game because <laughs> they did work incredibly, incredibly hard, didn't they, in that game. And thank God we've got, like, we haven't got a midweek game because I think if we had a midweek game, I think we'd have a two-game hangover. But hopefully yeah. um, we can recover um, and um, yeah, we get into um, get into um, in, onto Saturday um, in in good shape. There's a nice picture of Caton um, just put on Twitter about five minutes ago. I was looking at while you guys were talking, and it's him just walking up and shaking hands with Fabinho at the end of the game. And you think for someone like Caton, young lad, just coming into the game, hardly played a game for us, gets on at Anfield, meets meets Van Dyke and Fabinho. What a, what an amazing experience for him. So I'm sure sure he had certainly had a good day as well. But um, yeah, it's good. I mean, yeah, I was about to talk about top threes before we got sidetracked, but I, I I think I went for a dough man of the match, like quite a lot of people. I think um, just the goal he scored, his overall play, um, as we mentioned against Van Dyke, hard work, um, but he putting in what he's been doing. In the last few weeks um, got tired towards the end and subbed off which is fair enough after an incredibly busy Christmas so yeah he was my man of the match went for a better second generally because I think in that good spell we had probably our best spell of the game and we didn't mention it but they did eventually double up on him which I noted so made it much harder for him but he forced them to kind of change things around which showed how well he was playing during that spell um, and for me I wanted to go for one of the defenders for third place because let's be honest they came under an incredible amount of pressure during that game heading it away clearing it away blocks um, and I picked Pangington I just thought that uh, a Liverpool ex-Liverpool 
Everton lad going back to Liverpool, bit of bit of experience scoring there and, and the sort of those sort of connections, probably playing in front of a bit of his family and stuff. I thought he was really, really good in the defensive um area, so he was my third place. Um yeah. So what about you, Dan? Yeah, well I, I was sort of convinced by my choices about an hour ago and I'm not quite so convinced by them now. But um I'll stick with them anyway. I I mean, I, I definitely, I, I thought Ogbetter had a very good game going forward. He, he, he caught the eye, and I bet there's a lot of scouts around, around, around the country noting that that left winger, as he looked like, for, for Town, who can cross the ball. And, and I thought he had a super game. But, but he, he, he's really not got a lot of bottle when it comes to sticking his foot in and defending. And there were a couple of times where I thought, come on, stand up, man, be a bit stronger. And um, it didn't cost us, but I, I think defensively he's a bit he's a bit timid for my taste. So, so I, I think he needs to work on that a bit. Um, um, and I, I think it's it's not so much physical; it's about psychologically being being a bit stronger there. So I would have put him I would have put him right at the top if he'd been a bit stronger defensively. So he's my number two. I. I I didn't put Ado at the top, I put him three. I thought Ado did wonderfully well, um, and I think he was very effective in key moments in the game, i.e. scored. Um, but I also think David Davis did very well, and I haven't seen many other people say this, so perhaps I'm just looking at the wrong game, but I think one of the key things you need when you've got um, a defensive unit that's going to be under pressure is someone bossing it and someone leading it. Now, the convention says that it's Ethan Ebanks-Landell, and, and he probably does do that too, but Davis was... Consistently talking to people about where to go, about how to shift where, when do we press? And we did press on, I'm going to make a number up here, seven or eight times. And I felt Davis was instigating that. He was leading from the middle. And he's been around a million years, hasn't he? He knows the way to do these things. And I thought he was a very impressive figure in there. Uh, and that's why I, um, I, I put him at one. Uh, Og better at two for his attacking, um, his attacking skills, and Ado for his, you know, his, his all-round attempt to lead the line and, of course, scoring a goal. So I'm expecting plenty of people to disagree, but I'll stick with it anyway. Yeah, for me, it's really a big call between um, putting Davis in there. He was probably my fourth player. I thought he had a really, really good performance. I went for Ado, Leahy, and Ogbetter and for my top three. And on Ogbetter, I think that's the gap. But the reason why Ogbetter potentially is still currently a League One player and. I don't think he's really a championship level yet as he just needs to do both sides of the game, especially playing wing-back. Um, being a good wing-back, I think, is almost a, a long-term career choice now because there's so many teams that play wing-backs and if you can do both sides of your game. Remember Ryan Giles when we had him on loan? Yeah. He's gone. He's yeah. now gone back to Wolves. Wolves have actually taken him back. And it takes a couple of years, I think, to turn a winger into a really solid wing-back. Um, and I think Obeta needs to work on his defensive play. If he does, then he will be, um, yeah, um, he'll definitely be a championship player. But I think he's got a lot of work to do on his defensive play. I would say aggressive. I think he's to be a bit more aggressive in the tackle, um, yeah, and physically what, as well, impose exactly. himself on the game. But also, I think positionally, he needs to improve. But he'll definitely get that coaching at Shrewsbury, and it'll be fascinating to see where, where he gets to um, in the summer. And Ollie, how far have we come when Ogbetta's having a really impressive game going forward at Anfield, skinning their right back, and we're still finding things that are not quite right? I mean, my goodness me, how big <laughs> have we become over the last few months, eh? Well, there's often a few, I think, we'll, I think that's quite consistent um, in terms of how we do things. But I was actually really impressed with Glenn there. Glenn picked up on, he was, he was double marked, and that's something I wanted to brought up. And um, yeah, second half, they nullified that threat by um, yeah, doubling up on him, and yeah, he, got, he had to end up going in a few cul-de-sacs. He needs to pass the ball a bit better there um, but again I think that comes back to the squad and the team uh, yeah, we'll probably need that number 10 who can then be a bit of an outlet but all positive though yeah and what does Steve Cottrell have to say I, I listened to a bit of it he sounded a bit like he was pretty honest yeah his voice had gone um, but yeah very quickly he said you know it was not a 4-1 game and we looked at their team and it was a good one to build the base off um, you know very proud of our lads thankful to have Liverpool 
um, have been towards us today. Um, and yeah, and the penny, he, he said he didn't think he changed the game anyway. Um, so yeah, that was the game. And um, yeah, um, a, a good summary there, I thought, by, by you guys in terms of what you saw on the day and, and what we saw um, from, from the match. Yeah. Yeah, so probably just one last thing to reflect on, really, is as you kind of mentioned before, Ollie, at the start of, of when we were kind of wrapping up. Yeah, we get away from Liverpool and let's get away with the money and look at more and more. But yeah, just for anyone that doesn't know, it's 45% of each um, gate receipts for the away club in an FA Cup game. And obviously, <clears throat> tickets were 15 quid for adults. And, yeah, after expenses. Okay, there you go. So it's probably not as much as we're anticipating. But yeah, tickets were £15 for adults and, and £5 for kids. So maybe £10 as an average, I suppose. So. You know, I think maybe people are thinking we might have made up to 500 grand out of that, but it's nah. more likely 300k, isn't it? Yeah, it's about 300k we'll make from that game. That's all right. Because um, you've got to take, you know, all the expenses, VAR expenses, and all that kind of stuff comes out. But 300 quid um, is um, not 300k, sorry, it's not bad. Put it in the back pocket, and I'm sure the club will give most of that to Cottrell to spend. Um, we do always plan to lose a bit of money every year, Glenn. So obviously, probably not all of it will be spent <laughs> um, because, you know, that's how we do our accounts. So, then the FA Cup run will will keep us on an even even keel, so that's brilliant. Um, and then there's a couple of other things. So obviously we signed one player. We still need to sign a few more. Um, but there was those rumours, wasn't there? And there's a bit of gossip around Vela before the game. Mm. Yeah, well, he was maybe you know. And I think there was a, a message coming out from from Lewis Cox. Maybe the club had asked him to spread that. Or Vela himself, or yeah. Lewis to, to do that, yeah. Or Vela, but you know, it read to me like he was saying, "Shop window. This is the shop window. Let's see where my career is going to take me, and who knows who's going to be looking at me." Which, as a fan, I read and I think that's shit. Especially on the eve of a big game, I don't want to read about my players thinking about their next move. I, I understand the realities of football. I'm not naive to know that every player is probably looking at the next big thing or the next big payout. But it's almost like an emerter. It's like you get the support of the fans, but you don't kind of give him a little kind of mini stab in the back saying that sort of thing maybe it got taken out of context but I didn't like the way it came across in the article to be honest with you Ollie I thought it was a bit rubbish um, and to be honest with you oh, he's had some really really good games the last few months but he was probably the least impressive of the midfielders on Saturday so um, yeah maybe maybe he was in the shop window and no one's actually having a look now but I'd be surprised because he's, yeah, he's season, been fantastic this I season like I didn't like it yeah it's, it's tough isn't it you get asked question you answer it um, it can be it can be misconstrued potentially but um, yeah I think you know Fella is, is um, worthy of, of of, um, of, a, of a move and if he goes to the championship good luck so, to him I've got a question for you then Ollie so on the basis that you know <clears throat> we've just talked about that game and you had um, obviously Vela's said that comment there and he's having a good season but you've had Ogbeta who stood out in that game and maybe a few scouts like Dan were saying we're looking obviously D- Danado's in this um, bit of form at the moment which is Fay-esque that you know ended up getting him a move pretty early realistic chances of losing any of those in January and Shrewsbury taking the money and running when they might not in the summer I think it's a possibility, isn't it? If you get, if you get so. a bit of money now, um, then lose them. Now, obviously, the biggest thing is we don't have enough players to, to lose and are better or Vela, which no. is the biggest issue. Um, but, yeah, it's um, for us, it's... Yeah, it's. I think a sense, we have to make a sensible decision um, on that at the time, I think. It'll be a good marker, won't it, if we bring in a left wing-back or uh, or a central midfielder that maybe that's an indication as to moves to, towards the end of the window but yeah that's it we'll have to see what other transfers are this week there's been no rumours or anything that I've particularly seen we've been ruled Cottrell's ruled us out of a few um, is it Harrison at Portsmouth he's not interested in so he's been he's been talking about some of the rumours but nothing really um, specific I guess we're going to we I wanted to cover this last Ollie and I'm glad you've, you've put it in the agenda but I don't want it to sour everything positive we just talked about but there was a video circulating on social media wasn't there of Shrewsbury Town fans um 
I believe they're Shrewsbury Town fans from from all the reports in Liverpool City Centre, chanting um, some pretty nasty stuff about the Hillsborough disaster and and the victims of that. And unfortunately, it has forced the club's hand. The day after an amazing experience like that of going to Anfield and showing some pride, the only message on our football club this morning was a statement condemning the behaviour of our fans. And it boils me a bit, to be honest with you, Ollie. Um, because it's almost like these fans are, are anti the club. It's like everything good we work towards, you're trying to help undermine. And I, and I absolutely hate it. And I've seen a massive backlash from the fans today um, on social media and also um, in other places when, when you kind of read the message boards saying, if we can identify these guys, let's get them banned. Get them out of this club. We don't need their support. We don't need people like that following Shrewsbury Town Football Club. Um, and I totally agree with that. I, I don't I don't think it helps our cause at all to be acting like that in a city um, that, that's kind of hosting us for a day and, and I thought it was shit Ollie and I thought I would just have my say on it yeah it was terrible uh, you do you obviously it's it's a, it's a small number of people and every fan base has them I think that's worth just saying yep, I agree um, you know some people I just noticed Shrewsbury put the result and there's about 20 Liverpool fans all posting the video it's like yep someone's posted lads it's it's been posted and the club will react but at the moment the game has just finished so yeah time and place and all that so yeah it wasn't it wasn't ideal it's it's terrible it's it's pathetic from those people that did it um we had an interesting debate there was a bit of debate on twitter today about life bans and stuff i'm not sure if a life ban is is right you know this is i don't know say for example all of the kids as a 16 year old kid he's been influenced by his mates and he makes a really, really silly decision. You know, does that mean that for the rest of his whole life he can't come to Shrewsbury Games because of a mistake he made when he's sixteen? I think it, you know the club. I'm sure will get the evidence and find out who these people are. Now, if it's some guy who's in his, you know, I don't know, thirties or something like that, or forties or even late twenties, make an informed decision to do that. That's a little bit different. But I think. Yeah, I think whatever happens, there needs to be strong action and education for these people. And if they don't want to be educated, then they, then they should be banned. Oh, I don't care. I'm, I'm black and white me, to be honest with you, Ollie. I mean, you know, if you get taken along by a crowd and you're a sheep and you start singing the things that even at the back of your mind you know shouldn't be singing, tough luck. You still ain't that decision at the end of the yeah. day. And if you get found out for it... I can understand the merits of that argument. You ain't, yeah, you ain't got a, you ain't got a leg to stand on. I've said, we've said this before about things like this. I'm yeah. fighting and stuff, Ollie, so my view hasn't really changed from that. But yeah, just crap. And, and you know, Liverpool fans... We did call them sensitive, and I can understand why they're sensitive to this situation. But um, unfortunately, in the sort of discourse amongst sort of their fans, that's all they were really talking about. They weren't talking about the game, and I just didn't like it. I, I felt as a Super Town fan, they these fans that did this in the city centre let the rest of us down. Ninety-nine percent of us went there, had a great day, back to our club, shouted our ourselves hoarse. You can still kind of hear me today a bit. Um, and they're in the city centre, undermining everything we're trying to do as a good fan base, um, which is annoying, really. So um, yeah, yeah, do what you want, Super Town. To them, I'm not asked. Yeah, it's it's it just yeah, well, yeah. There's there's a lot of fans in there, and you get these like idiots. I saw this this guy called Paul Tompkins or something, who's who seems to have a few followers, but basically giving oh, yeah. some abuse about Shrewsbury, saying this is your cup final, and how dare, almost how dare you, you know, give you know chant abuse to shoot Liverpool fans. He was watching from home, and I noticed he deleted that tweet, and then. And then yeah, talked about minorities being stupid. So I don't know. It's just it's just not what we needed, was it? Um, in terms of what the fans are doing, and hopefully they'll get some just deserved to what what they've done. Yeah, try not to. Let it, I'm not letting this out. Am I? No, no, it hasn't sounded the day at all. Um, it's, it's good, but it's it's it's. It's but, important so for us to highlight it, but in the context yeah. of. You know, it wasn't yeah. all the Shrewsbury fans. It was, it was some a couple of people did. It doesn't mean that a whole fan base um, should be tarnished by their why well, actions. Well, who knows? They might be the sort that don't go to all the big. You know, probably don't. The they probably won't I be. Imagine Ollie. 
yeah, that's what I was exactly about to say. It'll be back to the 300 of us, <laughs> the normal. <laughs> well, actually, it's crew away, isn't it? So we might take over a 1,000 yeah. crew. But um, when it gets back to some of those long-distance journeys, it'll probably back to the three of us that go to most away games. But um, 300 of us, not three. That would be Arsh. That would be Accrington numbers. But it is crew next, Ollie. Let's wrap this one up. Um, yeah, I'm feeling super confident, like you just talked about, a bit of belief about what's going on. Um, crew are obviously not in the best of form down the bottom of the division below no. us now. So I'm not. I'm, I'm looking forward to going there and putting a performance in and maybe nicking it, to be honest with you. I think there's a good opportunity for us to get a result here and I'm sure like half the division will be looking at us going yeah please beat crew um, you know your Morecams um, your Gillingham um, your Lincolns everyone basically below probably what Burton or whatever probably still in the yeah. relegation fight so yeah hopefully we can get a result um, keep this good run going hopefully Dan Doe or Bowman could score again keep them up keep that going and um, yeah Bowman's oh. 10 yeah, get Bowman to ten, and yeah, fingers crossed we can have another another good result. And yeah, mean you can get back to Sundays and and talk about um, a, another win. Fingers crossed. I think we, we've been talking there, haven't we, on the Salt News? Dan did just drop off the call for a little bit, unfortunately, but um, he is back now. So um, we will just uh, let Dan say, uh, yeah, we'll say goodbye, Dan. Thanks for having me on, guys. Brilliant stuff, and we'll we'll reconvene again in two years when we've been to Anfield for a third time, right? <laughs> cheers, Dan. Yes, cheers, mate. We'll have you on again, and um, yeah, Ollie, I'll be there on uh, Saturday at Crew. Um, not too sure what you're up to now, but I'll be back next week on a Sunday to talk about Shrewsbury Town football again, Ollie. Yep. Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening.